Hello, and welcome to Furloughed, Defining Moments Worth Talking About. I'm your host, Leonard Cochran, and of course, we have Steve Otterstrom with us here today. So, Steve, it's been quite a week for me. Lots of exciting things happening. None related to being on furlough, though, <laughs> uh, but uh, some of the volunteer activities that I am involved in uh, are stepping up, and I've been uh, recruited and approved to be on a board of an organization, and uh, some responsibilities there and some other things going on in my world. So it's been kind of a fun week for me, and uh, I know you and I talked prior to the recording and you sound just a little bit scratchy today. So talk to us, Steve. How are you yeah. feeling? Well, I'm, I'm definitely feeling a little better today. You know, it's interesting because like as we um, have gone through this whole furloughed experience, you know, we started out by both of us going on furlough. And while many of those in the world were laid off and we were lucky that hadn't been laid off. Now I've been laid off, <laughs> but um, uh, also I counted myself lucky for staying healthy the entire time. And uh, yesterday I went and got my uh, first, uh, and I know many of our participants around the globe have had these many times because um, in some countries where they have to be tested much more frequently, this was my first COVID test. Um, on Saturday, I had a temperature of 102 and a um, little bit of a sore throat. Uh, didn't have the loss of taste or anything, but I, enough of the symptoms that it was time to go and get tested. So um, Sunday was the first opportunity I had to go get a test. And I'll tell you, I didn't know a Q-tip could go that far up my nose. I feel <laughs> like what they pulled out may have been brain matter rather than sinal metal matter. <laughs> if, if, if I'm not as smart today, it's because they took my better parts <laughs> out of go. my brain. But yeah, otherwise, no. you know, truly, I'm not I'm not feeling terribly ill. Maybe I, I've certainly been uh, sicker before. Uh, and I am not I, I actually think this probably isn't COVID uh, just because uh, I work from home. I social distance. I wear a mask everywhere I go. So I think I would be at lower risk. However, you know what? Sometimes the virus doesn't care what you do. So I guess there's that yeah. possibility and we'll find out within, they said three to four days. Some of the news stories are saying 10 to 15 or, <laughs> or 20, <laughs> depending on where they're sending the sample to have it tested. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, obviously we uh, wish you well and, and glad to hear you're at least feeling better right now. Anyhow. So, and uh, Mississippi is stepping up our mask wearing. Uh, so I don't know if it's just our county or the entire state, but I believe it's the entire state. So it's now, uh, as of today, required again to wear masks, uh, you know, as much as they can require it. It's been suggested, but now it's required, uh, misdemeanor, if you do not wear a mask while you're out in public. And so, yeah, it's a interesting time as we watch this whole thing kind of ebb and flow. So. Mm -hmm. But nonetheless, that's not why we're here today. So I'm excited to share with our audience today. We have a guest with us, Tony Jacaruso, and she started a company called Jacaruso Enterprises back in 2007. So a long time ago now, Tony, and <laughs> she's got over 30 years experience in the hospitality industry, and she kind of carved out a niche in working with sales with the hotels. 
in remote sales and support for the hotels and generating revenue for them. And she's, she and her growing team have done that. And uh, so Tony last year, 2019, hit $18 million in sales. And she's been featured in Inc. Magazine's 5,000 list of the fastest growing private companies for multiple years now. It looks like the last three years in a row. And uh, Tony has uh, got a wonderful team and is a wonderful person. And also, too, I noticed here on your bio, Tony, that you've even been featured in Forbes magazine. So awesome stuff. So, Tony, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm fantastic. Thanks, Leonard. And thanks, Steve. It's a pleasure to be here. So, Tony, uh, and you and I spoke a little before the call, uh, small business. Now, uh, to me, a small business is like five to ten people. <laughs> now, you, I know you've grown a little bit larger than that. So, uh, tell us, first of all, what, what size your business um, last year was. <laughs> and, and if you want, give a little bit of history as to the, the road of getting where you are. And then we'll talk kind of. Uh, where we are with the whole pandemic and what's happened in your world. Yeah. Pre-pandemic, we had about 150 employees. Uh, mm -hmm. We are a remote company. So we've been working at home since the beginning of uh, my, the start of my company in 2007. And I think last year we, we were 18 point something uh, million dollars in revenue, which nobody is more surprised than me. I just, I just <laughs> I'm like, how did we do that? I just still feel like, you know, a lot of times I feel like I don't know what I'm doing, but as I've grown as an entrepreneur, um, I start to have more confidence in my ability to do my job well. And what I see that where I'm spending the best use of my time right now is uh, being a visionary and to um, make those tough decisions. Um, the, you know, that's what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to um, make good decisions for our company and make sure that we have a viable organization so that the people we still have employed stay employed. So um, the pandemic was uh, horrible for us. It was excruciating. I had to let go and lay off 60 employees. We lost, uh, you know, in annual revenue, probably $10 million in 10 days. It was, um, it was a very, very, very difficult uh couple weeks. <laughs> and then, um, you know, depending on the kind of person you are and the outlook on life, I'm optimistic by birth. And so I'm like, all right, what are we going to do now? So yeah. we're on our, what happens next path. Yeah. So Tony, I, I, I've, I've worked with you in the past and I, I know you personally as well. So, um, I'm going to be very forthright and ask you a question here. Right, so so I, I know a little bit about your culture there and your team. And I know you've, you've had some awesome events in the past. I've watched, whether it's LinkedIn or some of the things on your own website you've posted or different media things that you've let out about your team gatherings and different things you've done. And you're not just a small business. You really have kind of a family-like atmosphere with your team members and with yourself. Mm -hmm. So kind of talk to that just a little bit because um I, I mean how how do you decide when to pull the trigger with the pandemic and how do you decide um not necessarily specifically who to let go but how how, how did you work through some of the for lack of better words the logistics of handling the situation and then we'll dig into some of the emotion as well oh Good question, Leonard. Thank you. I think um, 
you know, it's funny when I started the company, the reason why I started the company was like most entrepreneurs, I ended up, well, I got fired. <laughs> so, like, so that's how you get started. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. With an idea and a borrowed laptop and a spare bedroom in my house. And, um, I realized really quickly that one of the things that had happened in my previous company was I was not culturally aligned with that organization. So I thought, okay, I need to determine, you know, what happens now. And so I was, it's, I, this is great. I was on the way down to see my mom. Cause of course, when I, you know, something horrible happens, I go, I go home. So I'm in the airport and I'm at this empty gate. And all of a sudden I got really inspired. And when I'm getting inspired, I have to write. So I had not have any paper because I'm out of a job at this point. And I found these American Airlines napkins. And so I sat down and started writing and soon I ran out of space. So I was in this carpeted gate and I've got these napkins all the heck over me, all over the place. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And what turned into this beautiful mosaic of here are the things I love to do. And here are the things I like to do. And here are the things I will never do again. And I thought, okay, how do I build a company out of here are the things I love to do? And it was very organic. It was very slow. But primarily what that had to do with was hotels, travel, people I deeply cared about and respected. Um, you know, I, I wanted to have a component of give back. Um you know, we do a lot of charity in our organization, but through that, from the multiple years, as it, just as a quick note, the first thing I did was realized I want to work with people I love. And so I made a list of 20 people in the organizations that I had worked with or other people that I knew in the industry and thought, I'm going to start at the list and call them and tell them what I'm doing and ask them if they have, you know, need any help. And we'll just start there. And so I would call the first person and ask them what to do. They gave me direction and I would call the next person and do what they said. And by the third call, um, I got in touch with a man that I had known for a long time. And um, he said, I can't pay you, but I have an opportunity for you to come to our corporate office and do some brainstorming on a topic that I was an expert in. And if you want to come, I'd love to have you. So I'm like, okay. So I show up and through that, through that meeting, I ended up doing what I do, which is sales and um, kind of walking around the building, making calls. And um, somebody said, I have a huge project. Would you be willing to help us? And when can you start? And I ended up, you know, kind of scoping that work that day. And so what has happened is, of course, it just morphed and grew and grew and grew. And then I got to a point where I'm like, you know, I, as I was started to grow, the company culture started to become very clear, which is do what you love with people you love and help others. And part of my core belief is um, going back to always putting the guiding principle of working with people you love. I don't hire people unless I want to go on vacation with them. And so I thought, mm -hmm. okay, one of the things I love to do is vacation. So twice a year, pre-pandemic, um, in the winter and in the summer, we took trips together and um, we've been all over, been to Mexico, Dominican Republic. Last year, we took a cruise down to St. Lucia. We went, you know, and through this, we incorporate philanthropic events. So when we were in San Juan, Puerto Rico, prior to getting on a ship, we did a big carnival for the kids there. And I mean, you know, it's just, it's an incredible, you know, it's an incredible way to live and to work and to, um, you know, exist in the professional world, different from anything I'd ever experienced before. Wow. Wow, well, that's, I love that's that. neat. Yeah, I, I did not know love. about the the giving back that you did. 
So we did a. It's uh, we partnered with an organization last year called Shatterproof, and um, it's a it's an organization that tries to bring awareness to addiction, primarily opioid addiction. And um, we did a walk, and it was called My Two Cents. And so for a weekend, I took my employees, I gave them all the little pedometers, and I said, for every step you take, we will throw in our two cents to this organization. And we raised over forty five thousand dollars that that. Um, for them. And we just really believe in their cause. We're supportive of them, but you know, and we do small things too. Once a, you know, about once a month, we do a half a day where we say, go give back to your community, whatever's important to you. Cause I think that's important too. I can't tell people what, how, how to give back. I just want them to give, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, well, I, I think, I think, you know, just right there, I mean, going back to what you, you talked about with, you know, do what you love with the people you love and that you only hire people that you want to go on vacation with. I mean, already mm -hmm. I, I, I'm thinking what an incredible, what an incredible end to the story to come to that point where you, you're able to do these things. But I, I kind of just want to go back a little bit to you with the napkins in the airport. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the, the, the cliche business on the napkin. Exactly. I mean, I've, I've heard that so many times and now I'm actually hearing a real story. This, this really does seem like it needs to be in a movie somewhere, but um, it, it, it seems incredible to me. How do you take having an idea on a napkin? And of course you said you called people and you said, you have work for me. And then you did have someone that you did some free work for but somewhere in between, this turned into like people who were actually were paying you. Um, <laughs> how did that happen? How did you, how did, were, were there points when this wasn't working or was it just kind of a rise to fame or was there, were there some, some moments when you thought, what am I doing? Why, why am I not just going and getting another job? Obviously you were qualified to work other places. You know, were, were there some moments where you had self-doubt or some moments when it didn't seem like it would work? <laughs> yeah, I was thinking about my last moment of self-doubt was recently with, you know, who knows how to get through a pandemic. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> it's funny that you said that. I, I love that you said that because this is one of the things that um, I know to be true for me is I, if I seek the guidance for people that have been where I have want to go, <laughs> you know, it's like they're coming back up a road that I want to go down, like, tell me how to do this. Um, that I, if I listen to them, if I'm humble enough to be vulnerable, to ask for help, I get help. And the first thing that happened while I was doing this free um, brainstorming gig, which was, by the way, amazing because the people I was you know, working with were part of the organization that I had um, really good friendships with. But I ended up, the, when I was walking through this office talking to people, I just talked to them and I say, you know, I'm, this is what I'm doing. And if you need help, please, you know, let me know how I can be of service to you instead of the hard sell. And you guys know writing sales training and teaching and facilitating sales classes, people are very, um, I think, uh, inexperienced salespeople think they have to push an idea or sell themselves. And for me, I like to pull, right? It's like, how can I help you? And as a result of that, this is my first big fiasco. So um, my first gig was doing meeting and event planning for a large hotel brand. And it was a half a year project and it paid about 
$50,000. And so I was very excited. It was contract position, working from home. I got to travel. It was very, you know, it was all the cool things. So I thought, um, okay, I'm a meeting planner. So I got back after this ended and started creating all of this collateral and started, you know, identifying where I was going to go and make sales calls to you know, try to talk to corporations and get them to use me as a meeting planner. And I never sold another piece of meeting planning business. So there is the lull, right? <laughs> so I'm like, okay, how long can I live on this money? And then I thought, okay, that didn't work. So go back to the list, start calling people. And um, as a result of that, I got an, a, a gig where I was doing some sales facilitation for one of the largest hotel companies in the world. And um, I did that part-time, two weeks a month. And um, through that, met more people, did more projects. And like most entrepreneurs that I know, we often solve problems for bigger companies. That's what our, you know, very rarely do you get somebody that creates a widget, right? So you're, you figure out where's the gap and then you do that. And one, the, the amazing thing is, is I know how to do that and I do it well. And so then from there, we became a marketable solution to many, many hotels for what we do. And when did you know that you had actually broke through? When, when was your moment when you were like, you know what, I, I now have it? Because you talk about it. you had your first experience with creating um, or, or trying to do event planning and that kind of worked and then didn't work. And, and then you found this, this opportunity, was it when you got that, that first training gig with a, a large hotel company or was it a point after that? I think you hit multiple points. And sometimes I didn't even know I was hitting those points. <laughs> I have been very um, strategic in my goal setting a lot of times. And like, for example, this current, um, what my company currently does and what we have done for the last eight years, my first goal was to get to, you know, get to 50 hotels and then it was get to a hundred hotels. And then our goal this year was a thousand by 2020. We wanted to get to a thousand hotels by 2020 that we were supporting. And so those goals are very easy to identify when you've achieved them. Mm -hmm. Some of the other goals, um, you know, you, you, they kind of morph as you go. And so when did you make it? Sometimes I don't know that I made it until I look back. <laughs> like, oh, that was, you know, that was the high point. Well, now the big question, do you still no, have the napkins? I, you know what? Oh, no, I don't. And it's oh. infuriating. I know exactly where I put them too. And I made my mom, I'm like, do you still have those? This is two years later. She's like, what are you talking about? However, the they could be in business. the Smithsonian right now. <laughs> exactly. I wish I had, that. I do have one. And that was um, several years later when I was identifying the business plan for this company, it was actually a friend of Leonard and I were um, kind of ideating on what my current service, what we offer would look like. And we ended up, okay, hand to God, y'all. I was on an airplane. We were flying from Memphis, Tennessee, and I was coming back home to Austin, Texas, American Airlines through Dallas. And I, there, I was on a later flight and the gentleman that was, you know, I was going to be working with, um, boarded the plane with everybody else because I was flying standby and he was in seat. I swear to God, he was in seat 23 B and they finally called me as a, you know, standby handed me a ticket and I was in 23 a. And so on that flight, you know, it's just, you can't make this up. We ended up, you know, again, American airlines napkins. I couldn't, you know, so we wrote <laughs> out this kind of business plan and I do have that one. I do have that one. It's in my folders. <laughs> I love that. And it makes me so happy. And it makes me know that I've been, you know, 
blessed in many ways that I'm, I'm being taken care of even when I don't know I'm going to be taken care of. So I feel like there's some magic in the napkins. Like if anyone listening to this is like, why can't I get my yes. business to move forward? You need to get on American Airlines, grab a napkin, yes. write down your business plan, and then it will come to pass. Yeah, I, I, I think incredible. I'm going to run out right after we're done and go to Walmart and buy some napkins. I don't know. They might have to be American Airlines napkins. I don't know. Yeah, they is might have to be from an airline. Of, yeah. yeah. If you write airline. it on a napkin, though, you know it's legally binding. So just for the list. Be aware. Be careful about that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh gosh. Well, that's that's awesome, Tony. And and so obviously, from that point, or as, as you've gone, you've continued to grow. And and then you said you reached as high as 150 team members, and that's that's a lot of folks to keep up with. I know. Uh, yeah. I, I've in in my career, I've had opportunity to handle so far the largest group I've been directly responsible is 65 people. Uh, scheduling and handling all that kind of thing. So 150 is even a little bit bigger there. So what is that like for you to manage that many folks? Oh, I, I, <laughs> you know, I'm so glad you asked me that because the last thing that we did, um, which was last summer, I had been trying to figure out I, I how to how to provide leadership in a way that I can be proud of. And one of the things I always say is we don't hire people that need to be managed. That's part of the person. I'm very, very clear on the type of individual that I'm looking for that I know will be successful in the positions that I have available. And specifically, the primary position is our salesperson because each salesperson on my team has a series of customers or a group of hotels that they sell for. And that is, you know, if we keep, we have to keep our, our general managers happy and our, and keep providing revenue to their hotels or they won't continue to obviously pay us. It's a monthly subscription service. So I'm like, okay, how do I do this? How do we, you know, we don't have anything mandatory. We have unlimited vacation. We have, you know, if you want to do this, great. And, and it works beautifully, but people didn't need, they didn't need to be managed, but they did need to be led. And so I started researching distributed leadership and we broke up our entire company from our you know, IT technical team to our accounting, to all of our salespeople into small groups. We asked them, what do you want to be called? And they said tribes. They are, they self-elected a leader. So those were the tribe leaders just because it's easier to go to 13 people rather than, you know, 150. And they were self-managed. If there was an initiative that came across, we said, here's what we need to accomplish as an organization. This is attached to the goal that we're trying to achieve as our organization. Would you please figure out how your tribe is going to um, move forward towards this goal? And we solved more problems in creative ways than I could have ever even dreamed of. It was, it was incredible. So that's how we chose to move forward with, as, we got, as we grew. So make, make sure I'm tracking you here. <laughs> so, so you did did you divide them into the groups and then let them sort of choose their own leader is is that what i heard we did we or... did break up the initial um groups of people the the yeah. in, initially because we didn't want it to be a popularity contest we also wanted to have mm-hmm. a variety of experience strengths and experiences yeah and, okay. yes and so then what we did was we said okay here's your group now we were at um, our we were at our summer meeting and we said go here's your space go 
figure out what you're, they all have an agreement as I do on my tribe. And so part of like what my tribe agrees to is we won't, for example, hold somebody accountable for an expectation that wasn't mutually agreed upon. We, um, we keep something to our group before we agree it's time to share it. So, I mean, we don't talk about each other. We talk, you know, to each other. So we have, you know, whatever the value is of that group of people, you create that for your group. And then that's, that's really how it works. Wow. How it works still. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm loving that, Tony. I, I did not know that. That's great. And in my mind, I can just picture a little parchment paper map of your team now <laughs> with the little tribes and their little symbols on each little country or island that they live on, whatever it is. That's awesome. And, and it's all written and on a napkin, fact, so it comes true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all a, a parchment paper napkin. Uh, and, and the fact that you allowed them to self-select leadership, uh, I love that kind of trust that you can put in your team. And... Uh, there's just so much that says in, in doing that, uh, number one, wisdom on your part, or else just craziness. Uh, but then <laughs> from a team perspective, though, um, that kind of group accountability, uh, I guarantee you, I guarantee you, you're probably seeing better results than if you just assign a leader and push everything down by allowing them to make those contract. Uh, whether you call them contracts or not, but make those team agreements that you were talking about, those tribe agreements mm-hmm. and things like that. Powerful stuff there. That's, that's, you've done I, well, Tony. I think another thing to keep in <laughs> mind awesome. with that is that, you know, you, you started your team as a virtual team from the get go. So other than these get togethers that you had, for the most part, if I understand right, you, you, there was no, there was very little, if any, shared office space. Is that correct? Correct. The only shared, we do actually have some corporate offices and they're lovely and it's our accounting team and Mm -hmm. our IT team. And now, of course, they're all at home as well. The only people that go to the office are my business partner, who's also my husband now. He joined the company um, about seven years ago um, and he is uh, just a brilliant um, uh, partner for me because we have such different skill sets, experience Mm -hmm. and strength. You know, my experience being hotels, travel, hospitality, and his is technology. Um, you know, he's a, just a brilliant, um, planner, financial, former military, um, you know, I'm really proud of what he's accomplished in his professional life. So when we brought those skill sets together, it took me and our company to the next level. Cause I wasn't, I couldn't have scaled without him. I didn't know I, I just didn't know. I got stuck. Right. And it sort of organically, like most things happened. I, he had, you know, his company had was um, a, a public company that actually went private and they offered him a buyout. And he said, I'm going to take some time off and golf and figure out what I want to do next. And I said, OK, well, while you're doing that, could you help me with this spreadsheet and this PowerPoint? And then, you know, could you figure out how we can have a project management system and <laughs> uh-huh. all the things that I needed? And um, yeah, it was awesome. Well, so he offices there. That's the whole point. Yeah. I Which is like... great. A little space in COVID. Pardon me, Steve. <laughs> no, 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 that's fine. <laughs> no, I just, uh, one of the things that comes to mind as you talk about this is I think one of the challenges many organizations are having right now, aside from just the, you know, COVID and, and, but there are a lot of organizations that have plenty of work to do and they're making plenty of money right now. However, the challenge they're having is they've worked under a, a standard hierarchical system 
that maybe doesn't translate as well when you are sending everybody home. You know, one of the things that you talked about is trusting your team. And if you have a team that's remote, you're just going to have to trust that they're working. There's no way that you can you can micromanage in that environment. It does it's not conducive to it. And it mm-hmm. appears that you've really come up with an, an incredible way of reimagining the way um, leadership can be set up. And, and I think if there is any organization that's <laughs> not that we have this huge, uh, broad listening base that, you know, maybe you, you need to reach out to Tony <laughs> to see how do you make how do you make your teams effective in that environment? Because your old leadership structure is probably less effective when you're not able to share that same brick and mortar uh, space that you you may have shared in the past. Mm-hmm. Just a thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really does leave the opportunity, just uh, like you say, Steve, with virtual teams, it, it leaves the opportunity for everything to fall apart to begin with because mm-hmm. you no longer have the body language to look at while you're talking to somebody to know, are they even listening much less? Are they catching what you're saying? And all of those things. So it does, uh, for those of us that have worked in office environments or worked face to face, there, there's just a, it is a bit of a different skill set to survive in a virtual world. I think Uh, it's not necessarily completely different, but a person has to be a little more fine tuned. And it sounds like Tony, you've, you've done that real well with your team. Well, I think it starts with selecting the right talent, right? You got to have the right person on the front end. You will never turn somebody that, I mean, you and I, all three of us have worked with people that would never thrive in a, in a virtual environment. Yeah. I, I know that on the front end, right? So I know some of the characteristics and qualities I was looking for. And then we set very clear expectations. I don't care necessarily how you accomplish what we're trying to accomplish, but this is what needs to be accomplished. And then we are certainly trustworthy and we, of course, verify. And we know when somebody's, you know, slacking or, you know, not getting done what they need to get done because you see it immediately in the results. The difference is when that's happening, my assumption is something's happening in their lives. That's, it's not that they're not doing their job. And so you go to them and you say, gosh, I've noticed, a, you know, some, some lower productivity. What's going on? How can we help you? Do you need to take some time off? Do I need to get somebody, you know, to partner with you for a short time? What can we do to get you back to where we know that you're going to be you know, more productive here. Um, so it's, it's kind of like the whole, the whole mentality of what we do is, is not about trying to catch somebody not doing their job. It's trying to provide an environment where they can flourish. And if they're not, how can we help you? And if this isn't the ideal fit for you, which has happened, people, you know, thought they wanted to do it. They thought they wanted to work remote. They thought this was going to be a great job. And then they just, they got lonely. You know, one of the things is that as the salespeople, we hire extroverts. And so if you're not having constant interaction or continual interaction, there's that, that need for people's not getting fed and you end up accosting your FedEx guy who doesn't have time to sit there and talk to you. They've got to make another run. Don't ask me how I know. And so it's like, you've got to be able to support each other and say, during the day, you need to get out and run around the block or go to the gym or do something to interact with other humans. And so, you know, it's just, we've learned what, what it takes to be successful with our personality. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Cause like when you bring that up, it reminds me of when I moved from working in a hotel to 
working 100% from home virtually. And I remember just like one day just thinking, I am so lonely, <laughs> you know, because it's just what you said, you know, you get so used to, you know, I'm going to just go get a, a cup of coffee and you walk down the hallway and you say hello to five or six people and you hear what's happening and, you know, the life of Olga's family or whoever it is that you talk to as you went down the hallway and, and all of a sudden, you know, you can't do that as well with the cat or I've got teenagers at home and they do not, they're like your FedEx person. They, they, they have all the time in the world, but not time to talk with dad about <laughs> what he's doing at work. Um, and, and I think one of the, the things that I find so interesting about what you're saying is all the interaction that you're describing and the way you counsel someone or help someone who's transitioning, you did all of that again, virtually. And I think there's, there's so many um, organizations or managers out there who would know exactly how to do what you're talking about, but they wouldn't know how to do it through a virtual forum. Mm -hmm. Did you have any difficulty getting to that point where you could do this team building? Because this is what I'm really hearing is that you have an incredible skill for building teams. Was there a learning curve for you on how to do that virtually? Or did that come naturally? Are there some key concepts that, that people should be aware of? Oh, great question. I think one of the things I value is connection, um, definitely uh, collaboration. And then I'm super competitive by nature. <laughs> it's part of, again, my sales DNA. And so one of the things I realized, again, be, being remote, and it was something that I was craving. I always come from the standpoint, if I'm craving something, other people might be too. So check that out. And so one of the first things we did very early in our company, when I had maybe 20 employees, is we partnered and then we did a what we called, remember the Fitbits? This is before there were so many cool apps and Apple Watches and all that, but you had a Fitbit and it counted your steps. So I'm always about also getting people out to move. The people I hire are um, have a really strong work ethic like me. And like, I'm a grinder. I'm going to grind whether it's pandemic or whether it's, you know, not. And so that's just kind of what I do. So that's it's not unusual for me to sit in my office for seven, eight, nine, 10 hours a day. So getting up and walking and getting out and eating, you know, eating lunch, even sometimes it's like, it's, you know, I have to sometimes be reminded and we continually um, take turns reminding each other that it's time to eat, stop for a while. But this Fitbit challenge, we broke up into groups and, and then we, you know, walked and talked and, you know, at the end of a certain period of time, we added up the steps and collectively the group decided how many steps they wanted to walk. And then, you know, cause some people are, I've got marathon runners on my team. They're not going to, I'm not going to be able to catch up with them. I'm like, okay, that's an unrealistic goal for me. So every group got to pick their goal and, you know, it's just team, team, you can do team building and you can do it remotely. There, there is ways to do that. We had a book club for a while right now, pandemic. It's interesting because what we have decided to do is I invited everyone in our company. If you have something you're passionate about and you love then offer to host some type of an event, a Zoom event. Typically it's on Zoom. And so, for example, last uh, one of the women that, you know, we've got people doing baking and cooking. We've got people doing guitar playing. We had an art, you know, a, a guy that's an artist that 
hosted had a draw event that was really fun. I'm not a drawer, but it was a great event. And um, this week, I one of the women on my team is a, a bodybuilder, and so I joined her for a workout. And it's it's like you you know go where you want to be. Don't go where I tell you to go. If you're you know if this something that turns you on and it feels good and it's the right thing for you, then participate. If you'd prefer not to, that's okay too. So. It is interesting how it seems like you can do pretty much all the same things. It just requires uh, a bit of creativity. And, you know, yeah. I guess if, if there's anyone having difficulty figuring that out, you do, ha you are talking to three experts <laughs> uh, or listening to three experts right now. And I know any one of us would be happy to help um, uh, put something together. Now, I understand. I mean, we've talked a lot about the success and, and how you got to where you're at but things have changed for everyone this year. And, you know, with the pandemic coming in and, um, and the economy shifting and so much of your business being focused towards the hospitality world, what has that meant for you and where you're at today? And, and real quick, this is where the music dun, 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 dun comes in, Tony. <laughs> so now you can answer that. <laughs> <laughs> Man, my um, my inter my industry has just been, I mean, hammered. Right? I mean, we went from some of the all time highs of revenue occupancy to the by far the lowest um, occupancies we've ever seen in our nation, and it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking for a lot of our owners and people we work with that they're you know they're having to close their doors for a period of time, and hopefully they'll open back up. And so the first thing we did three things, what do we have to do? You know, it was very quick. We realized that we had to make some changes uh, financially. And so the way that we were, you know, as we lost half of our customers, it didn't make sense to try to employ as many people as we had because we would have been broke very quickly, as a matter of fact. And we are, um, we have a lucrative financial package. And so I had to make some very tough decisions and it was excruciating. And um, what I'll tell you is if you're going to make decisions like that, I learned, I had, I learned a lot of things about that. And um, I think primarily is don't drip it out. I don't know. You guys have both worked in an organization where I did, where every quarter they were making, you know, doing layoffs. And I lived in constant fear that I would be next. And so what we did was we, we, it, we said on a Wednesday, next Tuesday, we're going to do layoffs. I don't know who that's going to be. I don't know how many, but I just want you to know that is going to happen. It's reality. Um, we let them know everything we knew. I didn't know anything else at that point. I just knew that we needed to lay people off. So we got pretty aggressive with that number because I didn't want to do it twice. And mm. then, you know, we also decided that we have to, we just have to be transparent. And so it was a Tuesday morning, our, our, uh, just what I call the lowest point in our company history for a lot of reasons. And my executive team and I, there's six of us just started making calls and um, we got through those calls relatively quickly. And then we called our customers to let them know what happened and, um, you know, started the repair. And so as a result of that, we had to pivot, of course, that's the key buzzword right now, unprecedented and pivot. So <laughs> we, <laughs> we um, created a new way to do business internally and we adjusted our service so that it made sense to use a combined or collective selling, selling strategy rather than an individual one, um, which has served us well during the pandemic when 
it, you know, normally it takes, they, they estimate, you know, 20 sales calls to make, you know, five potential pieces of business and one good piece of business. And now it was, you know, 200 sales calls before you were able to find a, a really solid lead. But we broke up our tribes into different market segments that of the 19 essential businesses that we found out quickly were traveling and um, started making calls on them and started selling collectively as a group um, for on behalf of all of our hotels. Um, some of our hotels did cancel service, but most of them suspended service. So we still put those in that kind of group account. And um, it was, it's been phenomenal. We've booked $4 million of new business during this time. We've, you wow. know, continued to keep, you know, half of our customers and they're still here. Our, our turnover or our, um, you know, our churn is, is kind of what you call that in, in, you know, entrepreneurial world is, um, you know, it's less than what it was pre-pandemic. So we've, we're on to something. And so that was um, kind of, I think the first big pivot we did. And Tony, just, just real quick for folks that aren't in the hospitality industry to, to understand how significant that hit was that directly affected you. Um, normal occupancy of a hotel versus what it was and is uh, during during the worst parts of the pandemic. Could you could you throw a couple numbers? I know because we we always look at those statistics. Obviously, just across the board, these are general terms. But can can you give me an estimate of what normal what quote unquote normal occupancy is? Or you mentioned last year being an exceptional year. What was it last year versus pandemic occupancy rates? So we we can kind of get a sense as to how full or empty the hotels are and recognize that revenue follows that. Yeah. So I, let's just talk occupancy because it's hard to say rate um, yes, because of the exactly. variety of products, but um, our, and I can't speak to the the country. There's certainly analysts that do a great job in companies that can give you those specific numbers for the hotels we supported. We were running about an 80% occupancy. So 78 okay. to 80% annually. And, you know, right in the month of April and May, we were down to about 18%. Yeah. And I think it's also worth noting, I, I think, especially for people who are outside the hospitality industry, I know like if, if I were to talk to my family members that just go and stay at a hotel once in a while, they look at the, you know, 150 to $250 rate and they go, oh my goodness, they're making money hand over fist. But hotels actually don't. <laughs> There's a much smaller... Um, and in many circumstances, it can be um, the profit margins can be actually rather slim, especially considering that for many hotels, it's not so much who's in their rooms, but they've got to have events taking place. That's where a big portion of their um, revenue comes from, whether it is for filling their rooms or for renting those spaces and the other services that come with that. And one of the challenges, even as we see occupancy decline, events disappeared entirely. I mean, Completely. I don't want to say, yeah, <laughs> yes. but, but essentially events don't exist anymore. And that is almost <laughs> a harder hit than seeing the occupancy rate drop, um, you know, by such a huge percentage. Well, and I, yes, yes. And hotels have a perishable product, you know, mm -hmm. at the end of the night, if you haven't sold a room, you're never going to sell it again. And if you can't keep a consistent group base of business, um, you're going to have, you know, up and down 
different types of occupancies and financial pictures for your hotel. Food and beverage certainly uh, went away, events went away, but for our hotels, our primary customer is what you would call a focused service hotel. So that without food and beverage and without big event space, those the hotels you know, the Comfort Inns, the Hampton Inns, those are the types of customers we primarily work with. But here's what went away for us. It was the majority of our business are either one of two things, corporate travelers or group business, meaning like the sports group on the weekends. It's the family reunion. It's the wedding. Um, it Then the corporate traveler would be like FedEx, Dell Computer. None of that exists anymore. I mean, none of it. The only thing that was traveling were the 19 essential businesses. So we had to focus in, on that and um, it, you know, it worked, but you know, gosh, you want to talk about trying to feel your way in the dark, right? Yeah. And, and, and there's so much uncertainty as far as I think everybody believes or knows <laughs> that this will end, but nobody has that end date yet for us. <laughs> and that would change everything <laughs> if we had that uh, to look at. And, and Tony, if I could, let's jump back to you and your team. So you had... Uh, I, I love your philosophy, the way that you handled it. I mean, I, I, my own words, as you were describing how you did the layoffs, it really is a matter of just ripping the Band-Aid off quickly. <laughs> and and I, I know that's always a painful thing to do. We all have that visual and we've all had that experience of ripping a Band-Aid off. Um, so at this point, it, we've been in this for a while, and I don't know the exact date that you did that with your team, but they've now had some chance to settle and all that. So how, how is your team adapting at this point, if, if you don't mind going that direction and kind of uh, maybe maybe some uh, things that you're aware of that they've discovered along the way in making these adjustments or, you know, has it just been traumatic and everybody's just waiting for the end to come or what's, what, uh, what can you tell us about current kind of status of all these tribes that we've been talking about? Well, like most people I know, I think, um, and most of the people in my company, when it initially happened and hotels started closing, and I mean, we had, you know, 200 cancellations in a week um, after, you know, that, that was our 18 months it took us to get those 200 clients. So like, it was just, it was so disheartening. And then to actually come through and to realize it did stop and we started to, you know, stabilize. And we ended up, the first thing I had to do was I gave everybody, uh, we changed our salary and compensation package. Um, we eliminated bonuses. Bill and I quit getting a paycheck at all. I took our corporate team and um, did a pretty significant pay cut for a temporary period of time. And we didn't know what that was going to look like. And everybody at that point I mean, including myself fell to the ground with gratitude that we still had a job. You know, it's like everybody was out of work and all of a sudden PPP money was coming and nobody, you know, we were still able to financially sustain our organization without taking on any additional funds, which was a, a blessing for us. Sure. But man, then what happens is you, you realize you have to work three times as hard to keep a customer pre-pandemic, right? Mm -hmm. So now, you know, still you're doing okay, you're doing okay, but there comes a tipping point where you're like, now I'm working five times as hard. I'm working just as many hours. I'm 
getting half the money and my freaking kids are home. Like now it got to the point where it's like, I can't do this. Anymore. Real life happens. <laughs> so, yeah. And so, you know, what, as a result of some of, you know, some of our culture, it's like, tell us what's going on. We did and do every quarter, what we call spread the love calls and my executive team, we break up the company. Everyone has, you know, a sixth of the company. There are six of us and we call every single person and we say, talk to me about what's going on in your life. What's the pandemic doing for you in your home life? What can we do to be of service to you and your family during this time? And, um, you know, we found some great ways and tips to help people. You know, we, we, we had to, we had to help the people that had kids home. I have a single mom with four children. I can't expect her to do the job that she was doing before, but she's dependent on us for her income. So how do we do that? You know, we had to get real creative with some of the things that we, you know, needed to, we just needed to get creative with solutions and we pulled together. That's what we do. Yeah. Well, you know, the old expression, I I find it so true. And, And at times like this, certainly reminded of it, you know, that, uh, necessity is the mother of invention. And so when we get in times like this, um, the human spirit, the human <laughs> element here, we just somehow are, are able to figure out how to survive as best as we can. It sounds like you've done done well with that. Yeah, resilient. Yeah, you know, something, absolutely. Something that keep, keeps kind of circulating in, in my brain is, is something you said earlier on, and, and that is that you... I mean, clear back from the napkins, you wrote that you wanted to work with people you love and that you didn't hire people that you didn't want to take on vacation. And, you know, I, I've just been through a layoff. I, um, experienced that. And, you know, I, I certainly understood why it had to happen. Um, but I went through a range of emotions and one of those was, was anger (laughs) at, at being laid off. And, and even though I understand why it had to happen, and to some degree, I even understand why it would have been me, that's still something that, that occurred. Yet, luckily, I didn't have, you know, a family type. I mean, there was a good relationship with the organization, but it, I don't know if it ever rose to what you're describing, where I would go on vacation. Well, I would with Leonard, right? <laughs> but so um, would I, by the way. yeah <laughs> in fact uh, i did see leonard on his last vacation but or i don't know yeah i last. came to you 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 did not pay for me to go on vacation with you just want That's to clarify true. that although we, we were we were in the process of, of planning something earlier this year when when <laughs> the world went to hell and then <laughs> that kind of disappeared but um i just have to think that this would have been like laying off a family member. And that has to have been more difficult than what most executives have gone through. And I think that they've suffered and I think it's been difficult, but I don't think that there would have been the same anguish from whoever made that decision on my side as what you're experiencing. How do you make it through that? And, um, you know, can you share a little bit with us what, how, what's the toll that this plays on you emotionally? Uh, it's been, yeah, it's been extremely difficult. And it's one of those things where um, it, I always, I always am cautious to say um, that, you know, my, my work, the people I choose to work with and, and the people I love at work are like my family. Cause 
I'm not crazy about all my family members, <laughs> but I got, this is my family of choice. Yes. And, um, you're chosen and you are crazy yeah. about all of them. <laughs> <laughs> but taking, um, you know, being able to, to, it goes back to what I believe is the important part of, of strong leaders and they make tough decisions. It's my job to make tough decisions so that we end up having a company that's viable. Um, I can't, you know, there were a lot of tears. There were a lot of, um, a lot of feelings of hopeless, um, sadness, depression. Um, we certainly, I certainly went through that, but then I had to look at, okay, you know, we made the tough call. We did the best we could. We told people it was coming. We get, made sure that they helped them in every way that we knew how to, um, we continued to pay their insurance. We, you know, we did some, we gave them a, a small package. We, you know, we just did the best we could. And then you just got to trust that, um, you got to trust that they're going to be taken care of because I, if I start thinking about it, I'll start crying. It's like, <laughs> you know, I, I would never have chosen to make that decision. And what's sad about the fact that there's anger, I know a lot of people are angry. I know that a lot of people are, um, unfortunately have decided that they are going to, you know, speak badly about our organization and that's okay. They're, they're hurt. Mm -hmm. They're hurt and they're angry and hurt people, hurt people. I get that. Um, so I just keep doing what I do and I keep trying to take care of the people that choose to continue to work for me. And, um, I feel blessed by the, the people we have that are currently here. We have incredible talent and, um, and we're, it's, it's working because we have grown. We've picked up 50 hotels in the last, you know, probably month and a half, which is incredible. We're getting new hotels. Our hotel, our, our business is poised for ex just like explosive growth because one of the things we do, we provide sales service to become a salesperson for a hotel and we do it remotely. And so we're about a third of the cost of a full-time onsite employee. And the biggest objection we've ever gotten as to why it won't work is because the owner or the old school management company has this belief that you have to be on site so you can go door to door and you can go make sales calls in person and you can take people right. to lunch and you shake hands and you tour them around your hotel. None of that is relevant anymore. And so now they're wow. like, okay, how do I, you know, think of what you could do if you had a hundred hotels in an organization for a third of the cost that you were paying for your sales staff and get rid of all the employee overhead, right? We're a mm -hmm. plug and play. You start today and if you aren't, you know, beyond thrilled with us, we'll help you find a different solution. So I think our future's you know, and I think the truth is, if anybody, I mean, the pandemic will end, but this virtual world will not. <laughs> that yeah. that um, I, I've looked at um, so many um, organizations, and and I mean, even those that are close to home. I, I look at my wife's work, and and how you know they were brick and mortar, and now people are working from home. And um, I I talked to um, a coworker or a former coworker from another place who is working at a cable company uh, right now, and he said, "Oh yeah, they're going to ask us to come back to work in the next couple of weeks, but we don't want to, and we've been more productive from home." You know, there's so mm -hmm. many jobs where people have actually thrived in this environment. Mm -hmm. it, it's it's not going to go back, and even if it does short uh, momentarily, employees are going to demand the ability to have a flexible environment where they can work from home sometimes and you know maybe sometimes go in in those traditional brick and mortar things so um i think you're absolutely absolutely right that you are po poised to really especially once this all ends 
to go at light speed into something much bigger. Well, and I, well, I think part of that, uh, sorry, Tony, I, I think a yeah, part of that, ahead. though, is just uh, you talk about the hard decision. And, and one of the things, any anytime you're in leadership and having to make those tough decisions is recognizing that may well be a tough decision, but if you don't make the decision, it's kind of that pay now, pay later principle. You know, uh, um, if you don't pay now and make the tough decision now, eventually the company itself might not be around, you know? And so you, you do have to, you know, you are forced, because I've seen some posts on LinkedIn that, you know, oh, real companies take care of their team members no matter what. Well, that's, that's great. But, you know, if, the, if Sears closes their doors, Kmart closes their doors, or all of these bankruptcies we're hearing about, if they close their doors, then they didn't do a service to their team members that they had. And so if you can, if you're forced to do it, and you can make some tough decisions and still stay afloat, then I, I think that's just a necessary evil of the business and and it's those that are remaining will will flourish and benefit from it and unfortunately uh, you just can't maintain it or for fear of sinking the entire ship well and i think yes um it what happens is i think when the people that are blaming us for the fact that we should have taken care of them i was there for a really long time if i was a good you know business owner and we were really the company we claimed to be we would have kept people employed and for me, I, I know this to be true, is that they don't have all the information. If they had all the information I had, they would have made the same decision I made. And so what the beauty of that is it has helped me as a person and in my per personal growth to remember I, I don't always have all the information. When I'm ready to judge um, anybody or even whether it's our current political environment or whether it's, you know, anything with our social, you know, reform that's going on in our country. And I need to not jump to assumptions. I don't know. I don't have all the information. So that's a really important thing to remember for me. And so it, it just teaches me the kind of person I want to be rather than being angry at the fact that they, you know, they'll never understand and that's okay. Neither will I. And so it's, they're not any different than I am. I just need to take that as a, a life lesson. And regarding distributed workforce and where people go back to an office. And I think you're right. The, Remote will always now be a component. People have figured out they, they can work remotely. I think the one of the largest expenses to many uh, large corporations, especially, is real estate. Um, even, you know, obviously universities, that's by far their largest expense. And so when you think about now, how do you, how can you, the possibilities are endless on working remote, mm -hmm. but there are people that want to go into an office. There are mm -hmm. people that crave that right. office environment, especially if they have a home life where, um, you know, again, if there's small children or um, for whatever reason, it's not it's not a uh, smaller spaces in large cities. You, you, you know, people in New York have multiple roommates in a small space. They that's never going to be a good environment. So while a lot mm -hmm. of people will embrace and love being at home, there's still a huge percentage, I think, of our population that's going to want to be in an office. So we just have to be flexible with, with whatever people we need to Yes, I've, I've mentioned a few times on the show, Tony, I, I have eight people in my house, so I, I like an <laughs> office occasionally as well. <laughs> well, Tony, I'm going to make a hard turn. Uh, we, we've kind of need to near the end of our session. You've, you've really got some great nuggets that you shared, though. So I want to recap a couple of the notes that I've taken here, Tony, on behalf of our listeners. Uh, 
you've really got some great things here that I think are transferable to other areas. And of course, your value that you shared at the beginning of the our time together was do what you love with people you love and help others. And why can't we do that anywhere and everywhere, right? Um, help only hire the people you want to vacation with. Well, we might not be in a position to hire, but if we hang out with people that we only want to vacation with, I think we'll find a lot more joy in our lives and we'll probably give a lot more joy to other people as well. Um, I love your, uh, I have this as a quote from you, seek guidance from people who have been where you want to go. Um, really, really good advice there because they've been there and we can glean from their experiences, even though ours may be somewhat different. There's so much we can learn. Um, Steve, did you have any notes there you wanted to share? I'm looking to see if I have uh, anything else. I've well, you've, you've recapped most every, most every point, but just one thing I want to add to that. And for those of you that are in the same position as me and, uh, and that you are no longer employed with your former employer, what I'm taking away from this is Tony's story started by getting fired. And so let's, let's, let's I overlooked the obvious one. Let's not get angry. Let's get started on something new. Uh, let's get find hope where we can find it. And, um, and let's make something happen um, is, is, is what I hope to take away from that. And I hope to keep that resolve a little longer than 15 minutes. <laughs> as oftentimes when I get inspired, it goes, but realizing that our emotions will fluctuate, they're going to go up and down. But as they, as they go through that oscillation, let's, let's end on that. What, what is our story going to be going forward at this point? Uh, Tony started at a low point. We're starting at a low point, but that doesn't mean we can't end on a high point. Well said, Steve. Tony, uh, thank you again for being here and sharing your story with you. I found out a lot about your company today and a, a little bit more about you as well through this. It's a great experience. For our listening audience, as always, we want to encourage you to reach out to us. We have our email address. Feel free to dust it off by sending an email to furloughedmailbox at gmail.com. In the show notes, you'll see a link to Tony's business there that you can go ahead and click that if you're interested in pursuing uh, some help from Jacques Russo Enterprises, you can do that as well. And then, as always, this show is sponsored by Upwards Unlimited. That's Upwards, W-O-R-D-S, unlimited.com. And they will help you and your business with conversations, connections, collaboration, and community. Until next week, stay safe, stay strong, and we'll see you then. Bye-bye, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.